as we gather again here in your presence, as we open up your word, as we hear you speak to us from it, I pray that we would continue to exalt and lift your name on high. As we look at King Jesus today, we have sung praises to King Jesus. We'll now read about King Jesus. I pray that he would be the king of each life in this room today. If there's someone who walked into this room today without Jesus as their king, I pray that they would leave this room with Jesus as their king. What a difference Jesus makes. Would you teach us that difference as we look at your word? In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen and amen. Take your seat and open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 12. The best way to find 1 Kings is to get to 2 Kings and go back one book. <laughs> That's the advantage of going to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. They teach you little tricks like that. 1 Kings chapter 12. I have, of all the Palm Sundays, I've been preaching this October, be 30 years I've been preaching. And of all the Palm Sundays that I have uh, preached, I don't know that I've ever gone to the Old Testament to preach on Palm Sunday. It's usually a New Testament text. It's when Jesus goes into Jerusalem and the people hail him as the king. They hail him as a political king and they have hopes that he would be that political king. And my, how things changed over the course of that week. And as I thought about Palm Sunday for this year, and I just felt directed to kind of to kind of go back to the Old Testament, where there is uh, there there's a litany of kings and a queen who came through the Old Testament, and and I just want this morning to kind of look at how they failed, but how Jesus succeeded. For you see, as God is building a nation, the nation of Israel. At one point, he used judges to govern his people. But the people of God in the Old Testament, they said, you know what? We look around us, and we see all these other nations who have kings. We want a king. And God, through the, his prophet Samuel, said, I want to be your king. Allow me to be your king. But the people said, no, everybody else has a king. We want a king, too. It's like we would ask them, well, if everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you jump off one too, right? And they look around and say, everybody else got a king? We want a king. We want a king. And God viewed that request as a rejection of him as their king. Sometimes when we keep telling God, I want this, I want this, I want this, sometimes God will give us what we say we want to show us it's not what we need. And in desiring this king, God says, fine, I'm going to give you the king that you are asking for, but it's not going to work out well for you. And a major shift occurs among the people of God as we approach the book of 1 Kings. It's a book that talks a lot about, guess what? Yeah, it's in the title. Come on, folks. <laughs> it talks a lot about kings. 
And as we approach the book of 1 Kings, you see this, this shift begin to occur. God's people are no longer governed by the judges. They are now governed by kings. It's the beginning of the monarchy in their nation. And kings were in place in this nation for the next 460 years. Things do not go well overall. The nation suffers, and God told them to expect as much. The first three kings, we are, and don't worry, we're not going to go through all of them this morning, but the first three kings, they ruled over a united nation. That was King Saul, King David, and David's son, King Solomon. And they each reigned for about 40 years. Now, they hit some bumps in the road. There were some things that happened that caused some problems. But for the most part, for 120 years of those reigns of those kings, things went fairly well. Again, a few bumps in the road, but overall, things are going pretty good. Solomon's reign, it began well, but man, it started to end poorly. In fact, if you look back just one chapter in 1 Kings chapter 11, it kind of shows us how bad things are getting under Solomon's reign. In 1 Kings chapter 11, for example, in verse 9, it tells us that the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out from the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. From this point forward, as a consequence of Solomon's sin, God permitted the enemies of this nation to threaten them and the peace and security they once enjoyed was gone. After 120 years of unified existence under these three kings, this nation that God was building, it divided and it remained a split, divided kingdom for the next 340 40 years. There were now two kingdoms in this one nation. There was a northern kingdom that was called Israel. They had in their history 19 different kings. Not a single one of them was righteous. In the south, you had a southern kingdom that was called Judah. They had 19 kings and a queen, and of those 20 rulers, six of them were righteous. 14 of them were unrighteous. Things go tremendously bad for this nation during this time. So much so that things culminate when the northern kingdom of Israel is taken captive and a big army called the Assyrians take control of them. And then a couple of Years later, a few years later, 100 or so, the southern kingdom had the same fate with a big bad army called 
the Babylonians. You see, the people of God, when they prayed about who their king should be, they prayed about that for Saul. They prayed about that for David. They prayed about that for Solomon. But they stopped seeking God's will after that. We're introduced to a man by the name of of Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam was the king of the northern kingdom. He was a a man of standing. He was part of Solomon's cabinet. At one point, he was put in charge of the entire labor force of the tribe of Joseph. One day, he's approached by a prophet as he leaves Jerusalem. That prophet tears his robes and tears his robe, and he tears it into 12 pieces, and he gives 10 pieces to this guy named Jeroboam, which was very symbolic, as we'll see in just a moment. Word got back to King Solomon. Word got back to Solomon that this had, has happened with Jeroboam, that this prophet has given these 10 pieces of clothing to signify that Jeroboam will be in charge of 10 of these kingdoms and, and 10 of these tribes, and, and Solomon issues a death. And so Jeroboam takes off to Egypt and he lives there until Solomon dies. Solomon's got a son. His name is Rehoboam. I don't know why they couldn't have called him Jim and Bob and those kind of things, but they just didn't. (laughs) And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, when Solomon died, his son became king. So Rehoboam goes to this place called Shechem to crown him as king. When you watch the new King Charles get coronated, this is what's happening with Rehoboam. He's going to be crowned as king. Well, there were 10 tribes, those 10 pieces of clothing that got tore. There were 10 tribes who, who they didn't use their cell phone. Maybe they used some other means of communication. But they reached out to Jeroboam. They said, Jeroboam, will you come from Egypt and will you be our spokesman? Will you be our leader? And Jeroboam comes down, and Jeroboam basically says to Rehoboam, so you got Jeroboam in the north, Rehoboam in the south. Jeroboam says, if you will lighten the workload, if you will stop taxing us, okay, I just got my bill in the mail, okay? Will you stop taxing us? We will serve you. Rehoboam says, give me a couple of days to think about it. Look at 1 Kings chapter 12. Rehoboam went to the elders of Solomon and he asked for their advice. In 1 Kings chapter 12 and verse 6, it says, Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today, if you will serve them, if you will speak good words to them when you answer them, then and they will be your servants forever. So then he goes and he seeks the advice of his buddies, the guys he went to high school with, the guys who he hung out with and played baseball with. And this is what he says in verse 8. But he abandoned that counsel 
that the old men gave him, and he took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him and said to, said to him, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. That's an interesting verse. That's a translation to mean you ain't seen nothing yet. If you thought it was bad before, I'm about to make it worse for you. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And so Rehoboam decides to listen to the bad advice of his buddies. Verse 12. So Jeroboam, he's up in the north, and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly, and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahihai the Shelonite from Tallahassee, the son of Nebat. <laughs> That's just a lot easier. Now at this point, the nation, the people that God desired to use for his glory disintegrates. Verse 16 says, And when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Jerusalem, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David, that's Judah, to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. This is just the beginning. This nation is now two different kingdoms and a sad saga begins. Jeroboam who's up there in the north, he gets a little bit nervous that his people in the northern kingdom will eventually join Rehoboam in the southern kingdom. I mean they have no place. Watch what happens next. They have no place to worship. They have no place to gather. So look at what Jeroboam decides to do. Look down in verse 28. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, <clears throat> you have gone up from Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel. 
who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What? And he set one of those calves in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. This all started with those people saying, we want a king. We don't want God as a king. We want a human king. And now things have deteriorated to where this nation of God's people is split in two because of these kings. And they are now being led to worship false gods because of this. This is happening up in the northern kingdom. Unbelievable. It doesn't get any better in the south. Rehoboam, his daddy was Solomon. And Solomon had a problem with not honoring the vows of marriage. And Rehoboam picked up on that from his daddy. He had 18 wives and 60 concubines. And he leads the people in idolatry. If you look in chapter 14, flip over chapter 14 and verse 21. It says, now Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city that the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite. Verse 22 tells us that Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked God to jealousy with their sins that they committed more than all their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places and pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also male cult prostitutes in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations that the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, the people become just like their king. The people of God are acting more godless than the pagans. This is not how God desired his people to turn out. And it all started when they demanded to have a king. As we take a step back on this Palm Sunday, as we look at this long narrative of the kings, it reveals to us how miserably they failed at fulfilling their purpose. Israel did not need a long list of kings. Israel needed the king who would come from God. But they demand to have this life. They demand to have these kings. What are we to make of their existence? Here's the sermon in a nutshell. Don't get too excited because I'm going to crack open the nutshell, okay? But here's the sermon in a nutshell. The ultimate purpose of all of these kings was to point us to the king. 
The ultimate purpose of these kings was to point us to King Jesus who came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday and who was held by many as a king, but then it was desired by many to no longer hail him as king, but to nail him to a cross. You see, in the New Testament, the king of all kings chose to dwell on this earth. John chapter 18, verses 36 and 37 revealed to us a conversation that Jesus had with Pilate. And Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said, so you are a king then. Jesus answered, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason, to be a king, I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world as the king to testify to the truth. Jesus did what all earthly kings of Israel and Judah failed to do. You see, in Jesus Christ, human and divine kingship are united in one person. Jesus fulfilled all the royal messianic psalms and prophecies of the Old Testament. Luke chapter 1 verses 32 and 33 tells us, about Jesus, that he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus succeeded in every way that the other kings fell. So this morning, and I mean in just a, just a few minutes, I promise just a few minutes, I want to, to share with you what Jesus did as king that these other kings failed to do and what he does for us as our king today if you have a relationship with him. Buckle up three things real quick. First, as king, Jesus holds supreme authority. As king, Jesus holds supreme authority. The primary responsibility of the Old Testament king was to exercise the authority he possessed as king over the nation and over his people. Many of them failed. In fact, that's why you see an uprising, a division of this kingdom. They failed to do what they were supposed to do. They they used their (coughs) authority that it, it wasn't strong enough It caused sometimes civil strife and division and rebellion. King Jesus is a different kind of king. He holds, he possesses ultimate authority. In fact, Jesus made this statement in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. Jesus came to them and he said, all. You know what that means in Greek? Same thing it means in English. It's all. That's right, all. <coughs> Every bit. 100%. There is no authority all outside of this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus as our king, because he holds supreme authority, he cannot be dethroned. He cannot be defeated. He succeeded where these other kings failed. He holds supreme authority. 
And the implication then for us is very simple. We are to respond to his authority by submission. It makes no sense for you to resist a king who has all authority. You will not win. Your authority will not supersede his. Our proper response today to King Jesus is to submit ourselves to our king and to follow him in obedience because when we surrender ourselves to King Jesus, we find and discover that he does not abuse his authority like earthly kings might do. Our submission, our surrender, don't miss this, our surrender to Christ does not restrict us, but it frees us to become the person God has called us to be. Our King Jesus, the King Jesus, has supreme authority, and our task is to follow him. Second, as King Jesus comes alongside his people, he comes alongside his people. If you, in your quiet time, your Bible study, if you ever go back and read the Kings and the Chronicles, I suggest do it after a cup of coffee. But as you, and not, not right before bedtime, uh, as you read through Kings and Chronicles, you will see that, that even though these kings were kings and they were certainly set apart, they were also not detached from their people. Kings would often fight alongside their soldiers. They would often be the judge to settle different matters. They provided protection. They did life with the common people. However, when you look at all these kings in the Old Testament, you'll see that many of them failed. In fact, some of them completely abandoned their people instead of coming alongside of them. It's not so with King Jesus. See, Jesus came to earth to identify with his people. Jesus came to this earth and he lived among his people. When Jesus came to this earth, he came alongside the commoner. He was a different kind of king. In fact, Mark tells us this, or Jesus tells us this through the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus said about himself that the son of man, this king, this son of man did not come to be served, but he came to serve others. The fact that our king comes alongside us means that he meets every need we experience. You see, this king, King Jesus, will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We don't have to worry about our king abandoning us. Our king will be with us, and as he's with us, he will give us his power. You see, in the Old Testament, kings were supposed to be at the very front of the line leading the battle. When they weren't, some bad things happened. For example, remember King David when he uh, took advantage of Bathsheba and he abused her? That all started when he was up on his rooftop while his soldiers were at war. 
he wasn't among his people, and it got him in trouble. King Jesus is faithful to give his people the power we need, to give his people the presence we need. He fights for his people, not just on behalf of it, not just that he, <coughs> not just that he helps us, but he does the work for us. And here's a wonderful thing for you to latch on to this morning. When King Jesus gets involved, victory is guaranteed. Jesus comes alongside his people. Third, as king, Jesus mediates for us. He mediates for us. Let me tell you something that the kings in the Old Testament did. In the Old Testament, God related to his people through a thing called a covenant. Part of the king's job was to mediate this covenant. The king would serve as somewhat of a middleman between the people and God as the covenant stipulations were lived out. If the king failed as the mediator, he failed to represent the people to God, and he failed to relay the message of God to the people. And if you read the Old Testament kings, there were many, 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 many failures to represent God to the people and to be the intercessor between the people and God. Enter Jesus. For you see, as king, Jesus mediated a covenant, but it wasn't the old covenant. He mediated a new covenant between God and man. Jesus came as our king, and he said to us as people, I will become the perfect sacrifice for your sin on your behalf so you can have a relationship with God in which he is your father. And Jesus said then to the father, I will offer my perfect life for imperfect people. I will live a life that they cannot live. I will die a death that they should die. And when I do that, father, they'll be able to be accepted and received into your family. Look at what the author of Hebrews tells us. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15, he tells us about Jesus. Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who were called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred, the death of King Jesus. A death has occurred that redeems them, you and I, from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. King Jesus gave his life so he could redeem and save us from our sins. He makes it possible. For us to call God our Father, and only King Jesus can do that. That's why Paul said to young Timothy that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. You see, ultimately... 
the kings of the Old Testament, were to point people to God. And repeatedly, they failed. And they failed miserably. King Jesus did not. He perfectly pointed to God because he was God the Son in the flesh. And because of this king, we can enter a relationship with God and we can enjoy all the benefits that come from being a child of the king. So I want to share with you this morning, I want to encourage you this morning, do not miss the tremendous responsibility and the opportunity that all of us have in this room today, if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, you have an opportunity today for Jesus to be the king of your life, to be a king who will lead you and guide you, to be a king who will never forsake you. But we also, for those of us like me many years ago, I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, and he became the king of my life, I have a tremendous responsibility. For you see, God is building at this moment a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He's building a kingdom of his people. God's desire in being our king is that we would represent his kingdom And invite others to be a part of it. So I simply ask you two questions as we close. One, are you a member of God's kingdom? If not, today you can become a member of that kingdom. As you confess your sin to the Lord and as best you know how, repent. And trust in the work of Jesus. But the second question is for those of us who are part of that kingdom. Are you pointing others to the king of kings? Not to a church. Not to a denomination. Not to a religion. Are you pointing other people to Jesus the king. Would you bow with me this morning? I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to sing. This is our time of commitment, the time of invitation. You can use this altar to pray if you would like. If there's a question you have about what it means to make Jesus king, you can come down this aisle and say, Pastor, I need to talk to someone about, about Jesus being my king. We'll, we'll, we'll get that worked out. We'll, we'll have you talk to someone today. If there's someone that God's placed upon your heart that you need to point to King Jesus, you can pray for them. This is whatever God's placed on your heart today. This is an opportunity for you to respond to what the Spirit has said to you. And so, Father, as we enter this time of commitment, I pray that you would place upon our hearts the step we need to take today and that we would take that step for our King Jesus, for he alone is worthy. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.